Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. And today I'm looking at a part of the beef industry which is so important at so many levels, the live export of cattle, mostly in number terms, cattle going out of Northern Australia. To help me with the microscope, who better than Greg Pankhurst, exporter, importer for years, a lot feeder in Indonesia itself. There's not much Greg doesn't know about the entire live export supply chain. Greg Pankhurst, welcome. You're on the grill with Beef Central. Greg, uh, we have some uh, pretty heady topics to talk about uh, today, but I want to ask you the very important question. When you were growing up, how long was it before you got hold of uh, being in charge of the barbecue? And how do you cook your steak? Uh, In charge of the barbecue? I don't know. My father was... uh an old stock and station agent from northern New South Wales, so he was pretty handy on the barbecue. But as for me, I'm also quite handy on the barbecue, but uh, pre my heart attack, I nothing was better than a good 400 gram piece of Wagyu, uh, Wagyu strip loin bought from Woolworths, which came from Kilcoy. So yeah, that's the best and turned very regularly. I am not a one side, one side person, it's turned regularly. I think a lot of uh, experts might agree with you on that, even though it seems to be discussed, don't turn it or turn it once. But um, your heart attack, and now what's your meal now if you do use the barbecue? No use of the barbecue at all now, Kerry, and it's just lettuce. <laughs> no, I still like a good bit of tenderloin. Yeah. Lettuce and mung beans. They're all organic, I right. Greg, uh, some difficult stuff here. Your industry has had some serious challenges in its history. Is the current list of issues the most challenging you've seen for the industry? So, look, obviously I'm a live export industry and I've had in-depth involvement on both sides. So owning those feedlots and running those feedlots and a great relationship with people in Indonesia for a long time. And now back here actually having a shareholding in a live export company. Obviously, the, the big issue at the moment is we're not seeing many cattle leave Australia um, to both markets, uh, Indonesia and Vietnam being our main markets. Vietnam's still bubbling along, uh, and I believe that they will probably uh, will see a little bit of an uptake and, and resurgence in that market. Indonesia, and obviously what we're talking about in Indonesia is foot and mouth disease and lumpy skin disease. Uh, and the big problem there is, uh, unfortunately, Indonesia is yet to, to really work out their vaccination Um, procurement program and so obviously those feedlots in Indonesia who import uh, Australian cattle are not real keen to bring cattle in unless they've been vaccinated. So yes one issue going on at the moment seems to bump into another's cause and effect right along the chain but at the bottom of it all is this uh, FMD scare. Um, Why do you think it's caused so much of a ruction when essentially we can say FMD is not in Australia? It's not in Australia, but essentially it hasn't ever... Well, it was here, it was in Indonesia in the 90s, and then that's where we, our concern is obviously rising out of at the moment, is it's become closer, and it's, it's in Indonesia. Uh, it's in Bali. 1.5 million people per year go to Bali. No-one would obviously have any, any intention of bringing it back from Bali, but it's quite easy to, to get on your shoes, to get on your clothes, for, for you to head out into the villages one day, for you to go on a motorbike ride one day, get some cow manure on you, 
and uh, if that's brought back under the right conditions uh, and you leave those clothes outside or they come in touch with a, an animal or your pet goat or your cow or whatever it may be, we may see the spread of foot and mouth disease in Australia. Yes, and uh, the point is that the entire livestock world would come to a standstill instantly, wouldn't it, all over Australia? Yeah, so uh, as I believe, um, obviously I think if it, it would be a 72-hour lockdown uh, and then we worked out what has to happen, uh, but essentially, yeah, lockdown until it's uh, either controlled or if it's already out there and not able to be controlled, I'm assuming that the vaccination process would start as quickly as possible. And, and I do believe the Australian government is, is got, has a really good handle on the vaccination side um, and it would be very, very quick for us to see that vaccination roll out. Let's get to Indonesia. I assume that the reason Indonesian uh, lot feeders are not importing Australian cattle is that they'll get here and they're fit and healthy, but they almost certainly will catch FMD in Indonesia and they're just buying an uh, almost certain loss. Is that the reason why imports have stopped? So biosecurity in the feedlots. So it's about 30 feedlots uh, operate in Indonesia now and about a 250,000 head one-time capacity. So we've seen some really good biosecurity measures adopted at most of those feedlots and, and they've kept foot and mouth at bay to date. Uh, and so, but you know, you're unloading the, the animal at the port, it's travelling uh, 80 or 100 kilometres, it's, uh, it's travelling on trucks that, that may have been exposed, uh, it's, it's having, the animal's having exposure to people that may have been exposed. So. Obviously people are thinking, look, it's probably easier just not to bring some cattle in until we get the vaccines. And look, I think we'll see vaccines. Some cattle have been vaccinated in the Indonesian feedlots, um, but I would, would ex expect that we would see full vaccination in the Indonesian feedlots where Australian cattle are held within the next four weeks. Well, that's, that's very impressive if it does happen, but um, the figures tell the story, of course, our imports, or Indonesian imports from Australia, down 20% year on year. That, is that entirely due to F FMD? No, obviously FMD only was, we only learnt of FMD on May the 13th, uh, 2022, so we've really only had it annoying us for a couple of months. What the main thing in the slowdown in Indonesia has been to is, is the price of cattle from Australia. And look, no one can say that hasn't been a great thing. We've, we've seen amazing seasons. We've seen amazing prices being reaped by the Australian producer, and that's great. And, and let's face it, price is always driven by supply and demand. So if the demand's there, the price goes up. And if you want to buy the cattle, you buy the, you've got to pay the price. So... Um, Indonesia has, uh, has continued to buy at, at these higher levels. I, it hasn't been easy. There's been a lot of pain in the feedlot sector over there, but, but we do see ebbs and flows. We, we're seeing the price come back now, and uh, I, I'm very positive that as soon as we see some vaccine, we'll see uh, resurgence in the trade for sure. So is, is that the basis of the industry at the moment? They're hoping for a very soon... Uh, catch up in terms of vaccinations, etc. Is, is there a general outlook of confidence in the industry in Indonesia? Oh, I believe so. Yeah, so you've still got that massive, massive uh, market—260 million people. I, I, I talk in—I always talk in uh, when I talk to people about meat in Indonesia. Indonesians eat 2.3 kilograms of meat per person per year. So, 
You know, Australians eat about 25, 30. Brazilians eat about 60. So there's, you know, they're right there at the lower end, 2.5 kilograms per per, 2.3 kilograms per person per year. If they wanted to eat an extra 0.5 of a kilo, so that steak we had last night, uh, 500 gram steak we had last night, they only got to eat one more of them. And, and they don't eat them in steaks, they eat them in other forms, but they only got to eat one 500 gram piece per person per year. It would mean 750,000 head of cattle from Australia. And I, and I don't really believe that we have, would have the capacity to supply an additional 750 to the million we almost supply at the moment. So I want to get to uh, other supplies of cattle to Australia and even box beef. Incidentally, Indonesia is quite a substantial taker of box beef as well. It's our fifth largest box beef yeah, market. Big, yeah, big yeah. market for Australian box beef. And also uh, the big market there is the Indian buffalo meat, uh, about 150,000 tonnes of Indian buffalo meat per yeah, year. Yeah. comes out of India. It's a low-cost product and quite a lot of product out of Brazil at the moment as well. Time for a quick break from our podcast series On The Grill. We're speaking with Greg Pankhurst. This podcast is brought to you by CompuDose, a proven way to maximise growth rates in grass-fed cattle. CompuDose allows you to target and achieve specifications for most major markets, including MSA grading and feedlots. Contact Alanco and find out how CompuDose can grow your beef operation. Results may vary depending on nutrition. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're on the grill with Beef Central. Kerry Lonigan talking to Greg Pankhurst. What's the official number of cattle in Indonesia? About 14 million of their own stock. So 14 million of their own stocks actually supplies about 60% of their own requirement. So then they import about 20% uh, Australian cattle, which supplies the... One, the next 20% and then 20% comes from box beef. And now, is that the official number or is that a yeah, guesstimate? Well, yeah. that's, that's the number that we work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it increases, it decreases. Uh, sadly, through to FMD, we probably see a... Uh, a and we haven't seen the, the Australian cattle there, so um, we've probably seen a bit of a, a decrease in the number because a number of animals have been slaughtered with FMD and the Australian animals haven't been there to supply. 14 million cattle. It's a double shot, isn't it, the vaccine for uh, for <coughs> FMD? Yeah, it's a day one or first vaccination recommended at uh, 14 days and then uh, a booster. Do you think the FMD story has been overcooked in Australia? Oh, no, I think we should have uh, due concern. I think it's, uh, uh, you know, I... I, I and let's never hope it does get here, but I think we should be thinking about what we need to do and how we need to react and and also how we need to go to Indonesia and, and assist them in, in keeping it under control up there because that's that's the last port before it, it, it comes to Australia. So I think due uh, concern is, is needed, um, but uh, we, we also need to keep level-headed with it as well. I've seen some amazing headlines, especially on commercial television about FMD, when they found those that inert FMD in Victoria, I think it was. It was uh, FMD in Australia, and I was appalled. But uh, it went out, went ahead, went to air, and people got scared over it. Yeah, and look, as the government said, that it's probably three or four times a year that you see that sort of situation come, but it had been never reported before because it was an inert 
what do they call it? Shards or something? Yeah. So look, um, yeah, I I suppose it was an article to run at the time, wasn't it? Yes, look, I I was promised to ask this question even though I know the answer. Um, People ask me and say, why don't we simply vaccinate cattle in Australia against FMD? Again, I'm not an FMD expert, but as I believe, as soon as we vaccinate an animal, we must declare that we've we've used vaccine for foot and mouth disease, even though the foot and mouth disease is, is a dead, inert, inactivated vaccine. Um, we still must advise the, the our markets that we've started to vaccinate against foot and mouth disease. And once you start vaccinating, you're known throughout the world as a country yeah. with FMD, yeah. so that's the end of it, isn't it? A positive before we move on. When this is all over, I would assume that because a lot of cattle haven't been going to Indonesia, cattle, I assume that they are dying and they're also being consumed, there will be a potential for some big buys from Indonesia. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think once the vaccine rolls out, um, we've got feedlots that are, that are empty or feedlots that have uh, been cleaned out. Uh, look, I, and, and uh, sadly, it's not the right time of year to be really buying cattle in September, but there will be a few cattle about. And there's not, there, there, and that's exactly it. There will be a few cattle about, not a lot of cattle about. And so we, uh, we probably see a fair bit of activity September, October uh, coming into the wet. Now, the other live export market, you, you mentioned it briefly, Vietnam sales to year on year down 55%. Why is this happening? Uh, again, price, COVID. The grey channel into China has uh, has been has been quite restricted over the last 12 months. Yeah, again they they had a lot of a big build up and a glut of cattle coming out of COVID, and they've been trying to downsell those cattle. Um, again, uh, still some interest coming out of Vietnam, and I really have a lot of positive thought for Vietnam. The Vietnamese, it's it's still a very new market. They've invested heavily in some amazing facilities. Um, they do prefer those ready-to-slaughter cattle, but they're now th- saying uh, we need to buy some some, uh, some feedable cattle, so some feedlot feeding cattle that they can feed for 100 days. They have some amazing um, feedstuffs up there, so they're able to feed cattle well. Yeah, I think it's just more COVID, uh, grey channel, price again. It's It's been a difficult time for, for those Southeast Asian markets. Time for a quick break from our podcast series On The Grill. We're speaking with Greg Pankhurst. Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending, from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations, not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion on how we can add value to your business moving forward. Welcome back. You're on the grill with Beef Central. Kerry Lonigan talking to Greg Pankhurst. Uh, Price, uh, Brazil sending live cattle. Six weeks on the water, that's extraordinary. They can still send them and be, be competitive with Australian cattle there. Yeah, so Brazil's only sent one load to Vietnam and there's talk of another one maybe this year. Um, cattle, you know, again, it was was not publicised how the cattle went, how the cattle arrived. 
Um, but I don't think there was a lot of joy in those particular cattle. They had to serve a long quarantine period. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously you, ne you need to do your sums around them, whether they feed well, whether they slaughter well. Uh, it hasn't, no one's come out and jumped up and down with joy about the Brazilian cattle. So we still should never not reject that they're, they're sitting there wanting to do some cattle. The Brazilian uh, salespeople are in Indonesia, uh, have been in Indonesia in the last few months, are very interested to do some transactions with Indonesia. And again, it's all about price, it's about the type of cattle. It's a long, it's a long voyage, yeah. Is it but, six, six um, weeks or something? Yeah, I think it is uh, five to six weeks, yeah. Feeding cattle six weeks on the water puts a fair bit of an impost on them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's a long time. But I'd, obviously weight loss and such on, in, in voyages uh, is a problem. So they won't, you're not worried about Brazil being a, um, a, a constant rival in Vietnam especially? Oh, I couldn't say I don't worry about it. They're there, they're chipping away, and <clears throat> and they're, they're good marketers. They're, they're marketing very well to, to both those clients, to both those customers. Now, the country we talk of for a lot of reasons, uh, China. Is, um, I know there's a different type of cattle go to China, but is China still on the horizon as a potential market? Uh, obviously, it's still a lot of dairy cattle go to China, a lot of breeding cattle, um, a few. I don't know when the last slaughter load went to China some time ago, um, feeder cattle, nothing really. Look, obviously, again, I think it's about price. And as, soon as, uh, as soon as price stacks up, China will probably come back. But, you know, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing the highest prices we've ever seen in Australia, which is great. I know, I think I was with you two years ago and we talked about the Eki hitting 1,000. Yeah. Well, lo and behold, it did. Almost 1,200. Yeah. Correct. Yes. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's price. We're, we're on this wave here at the moment and, and let's ride it if, if uh, producers can do well out of it. Um, and those markets, we can still maintain the relationships with those markets. We can still maintain some supply to those markets with different types of cattle. Um, so that when the price does ease back, they will be able to slip back in and take some more cattle. Yeah. Lumpy skin disease now. Uh, I'm told the odds favour it actually coming into Australia and one expert I heard say it's a matter of when, not if, whereas FMD is if, not when. Is, do you see it that way with um, F LSD? Yeah, so LSD, no matter how much biosecurity you do, it's, uh, it's blown in on vectors, wind vectors with a with insects. Um, people are saying it's probably unlikely that it will come on those big distances, so we probably would have to see it come down to um, Papua New Guinea uh, and then it, it blow across those shorter distances. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it, it blew in from Malaysia and Singapore into Indonesia, which is about an 80 and 90k gap, whereas uh, if it was to come from Sumatra to the Kimberley, yeah, that's still about a 3,000 kilometre gap. But again, we have these big monsoons and have El Ninos and uh, the the winds go the right way? Maybe, maybe it could. Yeah, it could come. And it up. would. It is disastrous because it spreads quickly on the on the on the insects and and animals are, are you know really hammered and and incapacitated for a while and calves not good. Yeah, no, not a good one. There is a vaccine, but I'm told it's um, uh, been around for a long, long time and. The uh, people I know should know say that it should have been worked on years ago because there is there are possibilities for an excellent vaccine available, especially with some of the technology that was developed during the COVID uh, vaccination program. So yeah, there's a, the current vaccine for LSD is a live vaccine, 
Um, and it's used extensively in the you know, likes of Malaysia and Thailand, and, and there's a little bit in Indonesia at the moment. The Australian mm. government supplied about 400,000 doses into the Rio area. Uh, again, sadly, it's been slow to roll out. But um, I think the Australian government, uh, through the Geelong Vaccine Centre, has actually working on an uh, inactivated type, which is similar to a COVID vaccine. So the current one is live, and they're not keen to bring it in no. here at all, no. But there are, so there is the possibility of a uh, non-live vaccine being developed at Geelong? Yeah, I, do, I can't confirm that, but I do believe there was certainly talk about that before the, the FMD blow up. Um, you know, there was, there was essentially two months of discussion just on LSD um, until the time that foot and mouth came and became much more of a concern. If what you say is true, that's good news for the industry. Now, putting your thinking cap on, Greg, I'm sure you have it on most of the time, but where do you see the industry in, say, five or ten years' time? Uh, the live export trade. So, obviously, there's government policy plays a big factor in some of these things, and we, were, we, we as an industry, work very close with the government um, in the policy and, and costs which are um, put onto the industry. <clears throat> the industry as a whole prides itself in what it does with animal welfare and obviously we need to continue that to be able to assure both producers and the general public at large that what happens to animals leaving Australia are treated correctly. And look, I, um, we all remember 2011 in Indonesia, uh, the changes that were made to the industry after that. Uh, and again, what we saw wasn't totally what was happening. Uh, have been amazing. The Indonesians and the Vietnamese have really embraced SCAS animal welfare, and you, the welfare in feedlots in Indonesia is paramountly great. It's amazing. So, considering that where we are with welfare at the moment, I see live export being as you know very positive. Uh, continue. I don't think we're going to see huge numbers. We'll probably see that five to seven hundred thousand cattle a year leaving. Maybe a few more. Uh, three or four hundred to Australia, to Indonesia, two or three hundred to Vietnam, and those few are the smaller markets. You know, Japan still takes ten thousand cattle a year. Then we've got Malaysia, Brunei, the Philippines all take dribs and brabs of cattle as well too. Greg, uh, great to hear your confidence in the future and your expertise. And we uh, thank you very much for being on the grill with Beef Central. Thanks, Gary. I enjoy it very much. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time. I'm Kerry Lonigan and this is the Weekly Grill brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group.